Welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate, the podcast about all things real estate, all things local, and all things life, where we hope to inform, entertain, and inspire. Hello, everyone, and welcome into episode nine of Putting the Real in Real Estate. I'm your host, Glenn Hawker-Smith, and as always, I want to thank you for spending some of your precious time with me today. We have a great guest today, as usual, Brock Mogensen of Smart Asset Capital. And if you are an investor or have ever thought of investing in real estate, especially multifamily or commercial, I think you're going to find our conversation interesting and informative, so we will get to him in just a minute. In the meantime, I hope everyone is staying healthy and somehow finding a way to be productive in our current situation while also being smart and not putting yourself, your families, or others at risk. Although real estate is considered essential here in Indiana, Kentucky, and many other states across the country, I have made the decision to shut things down for now, um, for the time being, as far as taking on any new business unless it's absolutely essential. I'm concentrating on getting my pending business wrapped up and to the closing table and doing my best to get my active listings under contract while, of course, following all CDC guidelines when in-person connections are necessary. You know, I think as real estate professionals, we need to be very careful right now not to abuse our essential status, and I'm going to explore that and more on my next podcast. I will be speaking with my broker, Kurt Schuler of Schuler Bauer and Lincoln Crum of Lincoln Crum Realty and Auction Services, and hopefully um, at least one or two other local brokers about how they are dealing with this crazy situation we find ourselves in today. So this will be my first attempt at doing a podcast by Zoom call and also video. So should be pretty interesting and informative, or it could be a complete train wreck, maybe both. So either way, you won't want to miss it, and I hope you tune in. So with that being said, let's get to today's guest. My next guest is joining us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and is a principal in Smart Asset Capital, a firm that currently manages over $6 million in assets, including an apartment complex, retail, and office space. He holds a master's degree in management information systems from Concordia University, studied international business at the University of Utah, and works full-time in database marketing. Brock has been investing in real estate through syndication for two years and is the co-host of the Wisconsin Apartment Investors Meetup, the largest monthly multifamily meetup group in Wisconsin. Brock Mogensen, thanks for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. Absolutely. Great to speak with you today, Glenn. Brock, uh, first of all, how are you and your family doing during these crazy times we're living through? I hope everyone is healthy. Getting through it, yeah. I mean, just, you know, staying at home for the most part, work from home. Uh, yeah, definitely definitely in the thick of it right as we're recording this, that's for sure. <laughs> so are you, you're, uh, you're at home today? I am, yeah. Work from home and just, uh, yeah, staying, staying around the house for the most part. Yes, same here. Um, so I'll just let everyone listening know if you hear any voices or activity in the background. I have uh, five kids and a wife at home right now, so please excuse that. You know, before we get into investing in syndication, 
let's talk a little bit more about your full-time gig in database management or database marketing and management information systems. Um, how did you get from Kenosha, Wisconsin to the University of Utah, first of all? <laughs> yeah, um, I was a big snowboarder right out of high school. So I wanted to go somewhere out west where there was mountains and I could snowboard. So I landed in uh, Utah. Great, it was a great place. So I spent some time out there um, and ultimately ended up coming back to the Midwest area after, after I got done with that. So tell me about your management information systems. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so that, that was what I did for grad school. Um, and that, yeah, essentially just kind of, um, it was really high level information systems uh, was, was what the curriculum was really about. Um, so just kind of understanding how um, different, it was more and more so I'd say focused on like decision processes and how those are made. Um, so it was, it was interesting. It was, it was pretty high level, but I think there's been some stuff I've learned through there that I've been able to transfer over to um, some technology things that we implement into our business. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question. If, if any of that actually transferred over into the investment world and I know you're, you work now in database marketing. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yes. So there's, there's been a good amount of stuff I'd say, although, you know, not, not direct, direct skills that have transferred over to the real estate business, but um, I'd say some kind of soft skills I've learned from there have, have transferred over well. So uh, I did a little Facebook stalking on you. You look like a, a fairly young guy. How old are you? Uh, 25. 25. Okay. So what, what sparked your interest in real estate and, um, why multifamily and commercial real estate instead of single family residential where, you know, most investors start? Yeah. So, so ultimately I, about two years ago, I bought a duplex and I think, uh, so, so I bought it and it just really showed me like the power of cash flow. So I was house hacking it and I kind of just, so I was living on the one side, renting out the other. And it just, it just really hit me how, how powerful it is. So from there, I kind of really started thinking about, all right, what direction, there's so many different directions you can go in real estate. And I kind of spent some time thinking about it um, and then ultimately landed on the, the syndication spot just because I thought that was the quickest way I could really scale. I mean, I, I saw the path too of buying single family, you know, buying a couple of year and scaling that way, but it just seemed like a much longer process to me. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to go big right away. So I, I really spent, you know, six, seven months learning the syndication stuff. Um, and from there, went, went and partnered up with, with some other people that had, had, had more experience. Um, and now we were able to kind of scale, scale our portfolio rather quickly. I want to definitely get into the syndication aspect of it for sure. But tell me a little bit more about that first deal, that first duplex you bought. How'd you find it? How much did you invest out of pocket? Where'd the funds come from? Can you tell me? Go into detail a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. So it, it was, uh, so it was, it was a duplex right, right in my hometown, great area. Um, actually, from a family friend that was just kind of sick of does, does a lot of does a lot of flips. Uh, was kind of sick of the the rental game. So and I was just getting started, and I was like, yeah, I'll buy it from you. So it worked out well, completely off market. Uh, I did the FHA loan on it. I think I money down was somewhere around like fifteen grand. Um, and I, you know, I think I put another 20 in, into rehab into it, but so, yeah, I mean, it ended up being a great deal. I, I bought it, bought it, uh, at the right time and great location. So it's been great. And I think it was really taught me like the process of a deal too. So it was, it was cool work being able to work with like a family friend like that. Sure. Just kind of understanding the whole process of, of start to finish of how you, you buy and close a deal. 
um, was awesome. Yeah, and people uh, people may not know that you can do that. You can use that FHA loan as long as you live in the property, and uh, you can live there while you while you fix it up and then get a renter in there. Do you still own that property? I do. Yeah, yeah. I plan on I plan on holding it for for a long. It's the only property I self manage currently, but. Um, yeah, I, I plan on holding it, holding it for a while. It's, it's, it's great. But yeah, the, the, the house hacking, as they call it, living on one side, renting out the other FHA loan. I mean, it's, I think that's the best way to get started. You can really get started with not much money down, um, and, and just kind of get into real estate that way. I think it's the easiest way to get in for most people. Sure. So I'm going to guess you are a bigger pockets listener. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Definitely a big fan <laughs> of them. <laughs> gotcha. Me as well. So tell me a little bit more about smart asset capital. I love the name, by the way. Who's the smart ass of the group? <laughs> yeah, so I can't take credit for the name. It was my my partner. I had already had like a brokerage and everything set up under under that name. We just kind of created uh, an arm of that company, Smart Asset Capital. So yeah, I can't take credit for the name. It is a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So the the smart asset manage the manage properties as well, or is it just the investment arm of it, and you hire someone else to actually manage the properties? So, so yeah, my my partner. That's kind of where I we can get into that. But I partnered up with someone who already had a full fledged property management company. So they manage like fifteen hundred doors. Um, and he has he has a brokerage, and then we kind of came in with uh, the capital side uh, for the syndication arm of it. So it was kind of it was kind of nice as I was able to kind of provide value and just kind of plug into a system that was already created. Um, instead of having to build from scratch. Um, so, so yeah, that, that part definitely worked out well and was able to help us. Sure. Yeah. I can imagine that was a, uh, a huge advantage, especially for, for someone just getting started. So the, your partners were these people you already knew friends of yours. Um, how did you get in contact with them and how did that all come together? Yeah. So that was through, uh, as you mentioned, bigger pockets. So, I, uh, I met, met my first partner through there. We just kind of stayed in touch, um, you know, grabbed coffee a few times, really just kept talking through. We always had this idea. We wanted, we were both talking about wanting to get into syndication. Um, and then eventually after a few months, we just kind of said, all right, well, we're, we both have the same idea. Let's just partner up and, and, uh, and, and do, the, do a deal together. So we did, got this 89 unit deal under contract. From there, kind of realized, well, neither of us really, we don't think we have the, the right connections to get this deal done. So he had another buddy that's done a lot of deals um, and brought him in. And that's, that's where us three kind of partnered up, closed that deal together, worked together for the next couple months on that deal. And then just realized we worked well together and then continued to buy deals with, with that arm uh, of the company that we created between the three of us. So gotcha. it really worked out well. I think it was just, you know, networking is what it came down to going, not being afraid to just go out and meet, meet people and, uh, talk about what your goals are. Sure. And that's, um, that's a key to real estate that a lot of people don't realize. Networking yep. is, it's kind of the lifeblood of your business. So that apartment complex, 89 unit apartment complex, tell me a little bit more about that deal, how that, how you found that, how that one came about and maybe tell us some things that you have learned in the process of finding and closing that deal and maybe some things you've learned since. Yeah. So that deal was, we actually ended up, we actually ended up finding it on LoopNet. So it was under contract previously. Um, and, and we had, we had seen it when it first came to market and kind of passed on it at first just due to price. But then it was under contract 
fell out of contract. We, we kept following up with the broker, and when it fell out of contract, we came in and kind of negotiated a, a price that worked for us. So we ended up kind of coming out of a lowball offer, uh, got under contract to the price we were looking for, um, and then from there just raised the capital and were able to close the deal. So, so yeah, it, it was a C-class C deal, um, and we've, we've owned it now for almost a year. But, yeah, it's, 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 had, it's had a few challenges. Overall, overall it's going to be a good deal. Um, I think things are definitely trending in the right direction now. But I, I'd say one thing I, I kind of learned is that is now part of my due diligence is really getting in there and understanding, talking to the tenants. Um, we, we did kind of do market surveys and, and visited all the properties around the area. But one thing I kind of add now is, especially in a, in a C-class deal like that, is really talking to the tenants, talking to the, the building next door, the tenants that live there. Say, hey, what do you know about the property down the street? Is mm -hmm. there any problems going on there? What, what does it look like on a Saturday night at, at one in the morning? Is there people outside, you know, drinking alcohol in front of the building? What's, what, what's going on there? Kind of this really kind of questioning everything about it. Because sure. um, ultimately the lack of us doing that led to quite a few evictions, kind of inheriting a lot of uh, problem-causing tenants, I'll just call them. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, you know, evictions lead to vacancy and unit turn costs. So that was one part where it's now something I've learned that is now part of our uh, due diligence process. For sure. sure. So have you been able to stabilize that a little bit now? Yeah. So yeah, we're we're stabilized now, and and we're right now everything everything's trending in the right direction. We have, we don't have many evictions really going on at the moment. So yeah, but there was a, there was a few months there we we when we got it, we were just had a lot of evictions just because a lot of people were causing problems and it was known as the the bad property on the block. But ultimately, that we bought it at a discount, not knowing fully of the problem, but we kind of bought it at the discount because of that, Sure. Um, looking back at it. So it, it is a value-add component where now we have it stabilized as a, as a property that's, you know, equivalent to the other ones on the block and not, not the problem one. So ultimately it's working out well, but yeah, it's one part I don't know necessarily knew we, or I don't think we necessarily knew what we were fully getting into with the amount of evictions we were going to have to go through. So you mentioned a couple times it's a C-class property. Can you explain what that means to someone who may not know? Yeah. So really there's the, the classification goes from class A, class B, class C, class D kind of and I think it's pretty, so class B would really be like a war zone, right? You're, you're scared to go there um, <laughs> at most times of the day. Sure. And then class C slightly above that where you got some workforce housing. Um, it's not, not necessarily the best area, but it, it's not horrible. And class B is right in the middle there where it's fully workforce, you know, not, not a bad place. And obviously class A is your luxury type apartments that were, that were recently built. So that's kind of defining them by the, by the locations. There's also you can kind of, do the math too, and then do the year they were built to kind of classify them also. Sure. So yeah, that's kind of where it fell is right, right in that class C area where we have a good, good portion of uh good portion of government assistant housing in there. And then also uh workforce. So it's a blend where I'd say it's uh you know, mid class C. So tell me a little bit about syndication. Um, you know, I, I know a little bit about it. Not, not a ton. I'm sure there are people listening right now who, who don't know anything about it. So Kind of give me the rundown on syndication and and how you got you know how you got into that and how you learned about it and how you are leveraging that concept in your business. Yeah, so it's so ultimately syndication is going out um, and partnering with limited partner investors. So you're going to go out, you find a deal essentially, and you're going to go out and raise the capital from investors. 
and there'll be a general partner side and a limited partner side. So the general partner side would be the people that are putting the deal together. They run the deal. Um, and they're going to bring in limited partners to bring the equity for this deal. In exchange, limited partners, they're, they're solely passive. So they, they play no part in making decisions, managing the deal, putting, putting together the deal. They just they really write a check and they, they get a they get a quarterly distribution and then their payout when you when you sell, which is usually like a five to ten year hold period. Um, so for, for the investors that don't necessarily want to get involved in the nitty gritty of real estate, they just wanna, you know, enjoy the benefits of real estate. It, it's great for them. Um, they're able to divert diversify their portfolio and just, you know, write a check. So it's really but there also comes with um, when, when people get into syndication, you have to definitely learn the rules around it. There's a lot of, because you're, you're selling a security. Um, so there's a lot of legal around it that the SEC implements. So you really have to be careful about how you do it. There's different, there's different kind of, I won't go too deep into it, but there's different, different structures you can do and exemptions when it comes to the SEC law component of it. Um, so you just really have to be careful. Like you can't really do social media advertising unless you're doing a 506C. So I, I just really tell people is it doesn't take too much. Most of the, most of you just hire the attorney to handle, but definitely just understand the basics of the rules around it before, before you just start, before you start doing your first one. Sure. Um, so you can't just jump in and say, Hey, I'm going to start a syndicate and start collecting checks from people. There's, uh, there's quite a bit of, of regulation that goes on and, and some legal and, and tax implications. Correct. Yeah. So you, de- you definitely want to at least have a basic understanding of, of what you're doing. Like you can't, unless, unless you're doing the 506 C, which is solely to accredit investors, you can't post anything on social media. You have to have a prior relationship with the investors. So you just really want to be careful there. You don't, you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get in trouble with the SEC. That's, you know, probably, probably not something you want to do. So yeah, I just tell people, if you're going to do it, at least just, you know, read a few books on it or, or some great podcasts on it. Just understand the basics. And then from there, really, the attorneys you hire to, to do the syndications for you, they'll guide you along the process. But you just want to make sure the steps leading up to you getting that deal under contract, you're doing the right things there as well. Sure. So you mentioned you have to have a prior uh, relationship with your investors. So you can't go out and do a marketing blitz or, you know, look for investors across the country who you have no prior relationship with exactly yeah you can't you can't really do mass mass marketing like that I mean, so you can really that's why i say like leading up to putting the deal under contract because you want to establish that that relationship before a deal is under contract so that uh, really the old, old time rule of it is the three touch rule um so it's not necessarily like it has to be someone you grew up with or you know someone you've known for years it's more so you just have to you know, meet, meet this person, meet this person a few times, right? I got on a phone call with this person a few times. We met for coffee last week. Uh, we exchanged emails here a couple of times, something like that, where it's like, we're, we were communicating on, on a consistent basis. And then I presented him this deal, not, not just, we, we got, we got on a phone call real quick. And then the next day I sent him this deal. It really has to be where you can, you can put it down on paper that, like I said, we, we had a few phone calls here. We met for coffee this day. We exchange a few emails here, and then three weeks later, here is when I present them the deal. So really, it just—it's pretty hairy when it comes to what defines an actual relationship um, when it comes to the actual SEC law. But um, yeah, so I won't go too deep into the law component of it because I'm not, not an attorney. But sure. uh, yeah, it's uh, so that's that's really what I say is just building a solid relationship. Sure, and I would guess the the regulation of that I would guess would be a little difficult. 
Well, for people who are listening who are thinking, oh gosh, that sounds like kind of a good idea, a good way for me to get involved in investing without taking you know too much risk. Or not that there's no risk involved, but obviously a little less risk than if someone were to go out on their own. How would they, if they don't know anyone, if they don't already have an established relationship with someone who may have a syndicate, how, how would they go about finding someone or, or establishing a relationship um, so they could, you know, participate in a, in a future investment? Yeah. So, so yeah, I think, I think, so there's really a few different ways but to go about it. Um, I mean, yeah, you could, you could go out and just, you know, network, try to build, build your client list of possible investors. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do that, but really what, so what I did is going into it, I knew I didn't really have being, being younger and not just having a lot of relationships. I didn't really expect to be able to walk in and just raise a whole bunch of money. Um, so that's kind of where I, I focused on when I started learning syndication on the analyzing of deals um, and kind of just everything around there. So I just became really immersed in how to analyze a deal. And that's what I spent six months learning and becoming, you know, diversified on and then from there i went out and partnered with people that the people that i partnered with essentially are more strong on the sales side and having the investor relations and they lacked more so the skills that i had of, of the analyzing deals um, and obviously that transformed into other skills now that, I, that i've implemented across across the syndication business but that's where i kind of found the right partnership and they were able to bring a lot of the capital to these deals and i was able to provide a lot of the uh let's say behind the computer work so yeah, I think that's one way to go about it. If you know you don't, you're not going to be able to walk in and raise a million dollars from from prior relationships. Maybe you just kind of focus on a different part of of uh, the syndication process and then find people that do have that strong suit. Gotcha. So let me ask you about that about analyzing deals. How did you exercise that muscle, so to speak? Yeah. So going into it, kind of right off the bat, right? I said I was I was look, I wanted to find one skill that I could kind of just spend a lot of time learning. And that ended up being the underwriting, analyzing the deals. So I, you know, at first it was just YouTube videos and reading different blog posts about how, what, what metrics to plug in here and there. And then what I would do is I would just, I would just hop on like LoopNet and just look for any, any deal. It didn't even have to be a good deal. Um, just, you know, the, the right size deal I was essentially kind of look for. And I'd, I'd pull up my Excel calculator. I ended up just buying one from one of the, one of the, one of the people in the space. Right, so it's like a ten tab calculator, and I would just plug. I would just take these deals and just practice. I would just plug in the numbers from the performer you find on LoopNet, and just analyze and say, oh, okay, it makes sense at this price, and just kind of act like I, I were to be buying it. So I spent, you know, several months just doing that. I'd, I'd do, you know, one or two a day, and just and just really become quicker at it. And at first, it take you a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember at first sometimes I spend five, six hours analyzing a deal, and sometimes that really is what it takes to like fully analyze it. Um, but now I'm able to kind of look at them and under, understand within the first 15 to 20 minutes, if it's going to be a deal, I, I put more time into analyzing or not. But, um, yeah, I think, I think just kind of learning the basics of it, getting a good Excel calculator and then just going on there and just practicing, just bringing in the deals. And then when you feel confident enough, then you start looking at live deals and, and able to put offers in on them. Sure. So just like anything else, um, you know, practice makes perfect. Exactly. Yep. So we talked a little bit about the apartment complex. I know you've got some retail and office space under management now. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. So tell me a little bit about those because that's even even different from the multifamily 
uh, when you get into retail and office space. So tell me about those deals and, and how you came across those and what went into that. Yeah. So, so those were kind of a pivot. So, right. We, we still remain to look for large multifamily deals. That's kind of our, our core, but yeah. So, you know, it was what, four or five months ago now at this point, we came across um, a through through my partner's connections direct to owner on, on this office deal. Um, great location, right, right, right there, right, right where we were looking to buy. And uh, yeah, so it was the right price. Numbers look great, and we just we decided to just buy it. And then you know a few months later, it, this retail deal pops up. And again, we were kind of skeptical at first. We're like, well, if we if we can, if we can make the numbers work, get it for the right price. It was direct to owner again. You know connecting with this seller at the right time. Um, and then we pulled the trigger on that one as well. So it kind of real quickly, we diversified into, into three different asset classes, um, but it, it's been good. I mean, so far, so far those deals are performing well. Um, there's, there's, def- there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve that's still going on because I think all myself and my partners were all, all we've done to this point was multifamily, but we were really kind of learning the different components that go into these different asset classes and really beginning to like them. And I think, I think going forward, we're kind of, you know, positioning ourselves as a multi-asset class firm where we could, if, if the right deal does come up in these different spaces, we're able to, to look at them and understand them and, and buy them if they make sense. You got these deals under contract. You got, the, you got those closed. When was this? How long ago was that? Yeah, the office deal, I think is about six months ago. We closed uh, the retail deal, um, the, the strip mall. We, we, we closed that about month and a half ago so that one's pretty recent so yeah given the time yeah so i, I think i mentioned that the right time we definitely uh got unlucky there but i think buying retail rate rate you know two closed on it three weeks before uh sure. this coronavirus thing kicks in probably, probably wasn't the luckiest of timing but yeah. overall it, it's a, the tenants that are in that building are pretty for the most part pretty recession-proof businesses so that part we like about it um, and that, that was part of our strategy going in that, that, that we bought this deal. Good deal. That that was going to be my next question. I'm, I'm sure you could tell where I was going with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the things are, we are living in unprecedented times here and everybody's kind mm-hmm. of freaking out and no one really knows, you know, where, where everything is going. So I was just wondered, wondering if there was any, you know, fear or nervousness involved in, in, in that and, Sounds like, understandably, there is a little bit of concern, but it sounds like you are uh, in a pretty good position. So there's, yeah, we have the, we have the two largest tenants that strip mall are a church and a bank. So we feel pretty confident that they're they're able to weather a lot. There's other businesses throughout there, right? There's like a gym, a hair salon, things like that, where yeah, they're they're going to be impacted, um, no no doubt about it, but. We, we remain kind of hopeful on it just because those two tenants really can, they could cover all the mortgages just with those two tenants. So that's, that's where we're, we're pretty confident on it is if, if things were to go down, which they definitely are going to be, um, we're able to weather through it. And we always come into our deal with plenty of cash reserves as well to weather through anything like this. So we could, uh, we can make no money for the next six months and still have the cash reserves to, to pay our mortgage. So that's kind of, we always try to do that with all of our deals is, raise plenty of capital to weather through anything like this. Cause it's inevitable at some point that a downturn is going to come in any whole period. Absolutely. And I think that's a great piece of advice for anyone listening who is considering getting into real estate investment, whether it's uh, multifamily or single family, whatever it is, you've really got to have that cushion built in up front. 
you <laughs> the deal is made made or or broken up front, isn't it? Totally. Yep, I agree. So what's the what's the future look like for smart asset capital? What's what are the what are the investment goals going forward? Five year, ten year outlook. Uh, what are your future plans? Yeah, so I think for the next year or two, we're really looking to build out a you know a, a big portfolio throughout throughout here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, with all the connections we have here, we think we just we build out a big portfolio here. Um, and then a few years down the road, I think we're looking we're looking to kind of expand into other markets, um, some of the bigger markets. Where right now, I think I'm a little hesitant to go to these bigger markets. Just I think once we have scale in one market, that we can kind of take that to another market and apply the same model and our experience with brokers. So I think kind of you know we'll move down to maybe the Florida market or maybe even somewhere out west. I don't know if we've necessarily defined what markets we want to move to from here. I think markets they, they change on a yearly basis. So yeah, but that, that's our ultimate goal is to build a big base here in our hometown and then go out to these different markets and take the same models we're applying. Given the uncertain times, are are you actively looking for deals right now, or have you kind of put things on hold? What's the situation there? I know there are, you know there are really two different ways that you could look at it. Some people are are nervous and they're holding on to their cash. And some people are saying, Hey, I may, I may be able to find a great deal right now and are looking to buy. Yeah. So we're um, still always looking. I think right now, I think we're in this uncertain period right now where no one really knows. So I, like as of this time period right now, I would only pull a trigger, put a deal under contract if I was very confident on it. I think we're more, right now in, in this period, we're looking to kind of just, talk with investors and, and get them ready for the next deal. And then I, I really think kind of Q3, Q4 of 2020 is when deals are actually going to start reflecting the uncertainty in the market. Sure. I think right now people are still pushing deals online and kind of acting like nothing's going on and kind of just ignoring it. So I think it's going to take a month or two to really start seeing the effect on, you know, the effect. Obviously there already is an effect on the economy, but I don't think it's translating the data yet. Um, so I think once that point hits, we're going to start seeing these these deals pop up where people weren't able to hold on to them to this period, and there there's some, some good opportunities to buy. So yeah, I think I think right now people just really have to be conservative. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a deal right now, uh, like I I want to see a deal right now at forty at forty percent vacancy still cash flow. That's kind of my goal right now, or one of the metrics I'm doing the stress test is. If uh, on day one, if the building were to go 40% vacant, is it still going to cash flow? That sounds like a great strategy to me. You know, I, I agree with you there on on seeing a, a delayed effect on the market. Yeah, especially I know where I am and I, I'm in some groups on social media with other realtors around the country. It seems like most places uh, the market's still moving. People are buying and selling. But I do think here in the next few weeks that you may see a significant slowdown. I hope that's not the case. I hope we're kind of coming out the other end of this. I do believe it is going to have a delayed effect, and hopefully the the bill that they passed in, in Congress the other day will help some folks be able to avoid financial ruin, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully hopefully we can get through this, and, and there will be a lot of pent-up demand, and, and uh, hopefully the market will pick up here in a, in a couple months, and we can finish the year out strong. Um, Absolutely. I wanted to I wanted to ask you about virtual assistants. Now, you kind of reached out to me through a virtual assistant and I've heard I've heard a lot of people talk about the use of virtual assistants and and I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not 
fully knowledgeable on that subject. So can you explain that to me a little bit? What is a virtual assistant and um, how do you leverage that in your business? Yeah, so we we use a virtual assistant out of the Philippines um, and he's been great. Yeah, so it's we essentially just partnered, like did it through a, like a virtual assistant type agency that, that we use. Um, and we're able to work, work with them. So it, it's been great. I mean, um, you're, you're able to partner with these people that are, that are educated in, in a different country and it's through technology. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're sharing the same office as this person. We, we get on phone calls all the time, text back and forth. Um, we're able to email. So it's, yeah, just, just different tasks that we have had them working on that have been able to, to help us throughout our, throughout our business. So it started off with, he was, Doing a, a cold call on a list of different property owners that that we that we've researched. Um, it's expanded into he's running a lot of our social media for our Facebook pages. Um, one of the biggest tasks he's doing now is he's handling incoming tenant leads. So he he created a Facebook page for our our 89 unit deal, and he posts on a regular basis on that page. Posts on Facebook Marketplace. He's generated over a thousand leads in the past few months for that property. Um, and he answers that, that lead within five minutes of receiving it. So, so yeah, that, that's been a big part of it. I, I know when you hire a property management company, right, they have a leasing team and the leasing team does great, but they're not, when you have a thousand leads, you know, well, that, that's over a few months. So say you have three, 300 leads coming in per month on Facebook marketplace, 300 messages coming in per month, a leasing, realistically a leasing agent at the property management company you hire isn't going to answer those within five, five, 10 minutes. And that's kind of the period where if you think about it, you know, if you've ever, ever rented a place or done anything like that online, you kind of, you click, I'm interested in this and then you move on to the next one. And then you just keep moving on. And it's kind of like, by the end of the day, you've applied to 30 different places. And the first person that calls you back, you're probably going to be like, Oh yeah, I'm excited. Let's go check this place out. So that's where we see it is if, if we can, if you can answer that within five minutes, we got that person on the hook and they're, they're going to kind of take us some of priority over the, the three properties down the street. And it's worked out well where he's converted a lot of those into showing. So he'll really just, a lead will come through on Facebook marketplace. He'll, he'll answer it or whatever channel it comes through on. He runs all the different channels. Um, and he'll either message him back right away, email him back or give him a call right away and just try to set up a, a showing appointment. He'll provide, he's, he's well-versed our property management software. So if they have any questions about the property on rent or how big the unit is or anything, he's able to plug in there and answer any questions. And then really his goal is to just convert that lead into a showing. And then once they say yes, he has a list of showing appointments for the week that the leasing agents are going to be there. He gives them that time. That person hopefully shows up to their showing appointment. And then from there, it's just, you know, they, they show them the unit and then they convert them to a tenant if, if the fit's right. So it really has increased our, our leads that, that are coming in for showings and has helped, helped us out with our um, occupancy greatly, for sure. Sure. And your conversion rate is only as good as your ability to actually reach out and contact the leads that are coming in. And like you said, the time is, is key in that in, in today's world. Um, just translating that over into my, my business, you know, someone's looking at a home on Zillow and they click that button to contact an agent, they're not going to sit around and wait all day for you to call them back. They're going to, mm -hmm. if they don't hear from you, they're going to move on to the next guy. And it's usually the first person who makes that initial contact who is going to convert that lead. And so it sounds like he has become a, a very valuable asset to your company. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And yeah, there'll be other miscellaneous tasks like 
for example, we're going to install some vending machines at our office building. Um, instead of spending, you know, I, I, you know, obviously his time is valuable as well, but instead of spending my time, I'll just, I'll send it over to him and say, hey, reach out, you know, find the top three vending machine companies in Milwaukee that we can use. And then from there, I'll, I'll take it over. But it's just stuff like that, we're able to kind of outsource and uh, hand, hand off to him. And it's been great. So I can kind of see light bulbs going off in people's heads right now who are listening to this. And I, I their question in their mind is, okay, where, how'd you find this guy? What's the company you use? I want to, I want to get my own virtual assistant. Yeah. So it's, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, so like what we did is we use this company uh, called rocket station. They're, they're a virtual assistant agency and you essentially, you're going to pay more of a premium to hire through an agency. Um, cause they're going to tack on, you know, a different hourly fee and then an upfront fee to hire them. But the benefit I see for using an agency is, they they kind of they, they handle all the training and interviewing process so i'll back up a second and go to the alternative which is um the big one is um upwork and uh you go on there and there's you know thousands of different virtual assistants on there and you have to because i've hired a few for miscellaneous tasks i've, I've hired ones through there uh, and it's been an okay experience but you really have to vet through the process so, i mean you're gonna have to go on there you know, sift through a thousand different people, try to find one that matches your criteria, and then you narrow that down to, you know, 50 or so. You're going to get on an interview call with all these people, make the decision of the best person. So after, you know, you're looking at, you spent, you know, 20, 30 hours on it so far, you hire this person. Two or three weeks later, the virtual assistant finds something better and kind of ditches out on you. So, but the alternative is you're, you're paying probably half the price to do it that way. So I think for people that, have the time to, to commit and they, they want to do it that way. Uh, that that's probably is the best way because you'll save a lot of money in the long run. But for us, we just kind of went through a virtual assistant company um, agency that kind of does that whole process for you. They, they spend a few months training these people, set them all up. Um, and then kind of just, you know, they provide you with a few different people to interview. Um, so I, I thought that that price was kind of better to, to pay a little bit more on a monthly basis and just kind of make sure that we're working with someone um, right off the bat that fits our criteria. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's, 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 those are the two different options. I, I think you can kind of go either way. It just depends on what, what you're looking to do. But I will say that the option that we chose with that agency is you're hiring them full on a full-time basis. So you have to be committed. I mean, you're hiring a full-time employee, obviously, you know, that's a monthly fee that you're paying each month. On the opposite end, if you're just looking for, say, you just have a few tasks, or like a few projects, so they go out, you know, I, don't, I, can, I can just hire this out. That's what Upwork's great for. Is you can go on there and just host the project you want them to do. Say, it, say it's going to take, you know, 60 hours for them to do. You can even set a, a fixed project cost for it or on an hourly basis, and you just find them to do that one project. That, that's what I think Upwork's great for. Is just miscellaneous projects you want to throw on there um, for people to do. But yeah, if you're going to hire someone full-time, I think you can still be done through Upwork. Um, you just really have to do your due diligence on finding the right person. Sure. And if you're, if you are a, a realtor who's listening or, or someone else who, who runs a small business, um, I think this is a great option for you to look into. Obviously we can't all go out and hire someone full-time and, and pay benefits and, and keep them busy um, full-time. You know, I know in my business, there are certain times where I'm super busy and I could really use some help, but it's not to the level yet where I'm able to go and, and hire someone full time and keep them, 
keep them busy year round, you know? So I think that's a great option for some people to look into. Um, and back to what you were saying about, uh, spending 30 hours looking for the right assistant, you know, if, if you, if you have to do that and you might as well have just done the task yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a a time up front, but in the long run, in the back end, you will kind of make that money back by paying that lower, that lower fee. So I think, I mean, I think it's, you can go either way. And I think it helps me just come down to the decision the person wants to make. So Brock, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you would kind of like to touch on or any advice that you would give to someone who's looking into getting into real estate investment, especially multifamily or, or commercial? Yeah, I think I think kind of just going back to I think I think I mentioned towards the beginning, but for someone who's just kind of looking to what you know whatever whatever space it might be in real estate, um, if you're looking to partner with other people, I think you just focus on um, especially syndication stuff. Just just focus on one piece of it, become an expert in that piece, and then partner with people that lack that piece. That's kind of what I what I've been, t- been telling most people that are looking to get into syndication is just really become an expert on one piece of it at first. And then the other pieces will kind of fall in place once you start getting into it. Um, but to go into it and think you're going to learn everything about it um, right off the bat. And that could be any, any part, any section of real estate. I think you just become an expert in the one piece. And then I would just also add kind of shift, shifting topics, but in, in this market we're in right now uh, with the uncertainty, just be very conservative on, on your analysis of deals. Uh, run, run, you got to run stress tests, multiple stress tests right now to make sure these deals can weather what's ever in the near, in the future. So we don't really know what's, what's going to happen here in the next few months. But, but yeah, so I mean, I, I do have a, I just offer people I have, I kind of have like an ebook and video type series on, on my website that talks about uh, analyzing deals and like stress tests of deals. So if anyone wants to check that out, that, that could be a good resource on what to do specifically on a stress test. And that's at uh, smartassetcapital.com? Correct. Yep. Right on there. There's an education tab and you'll see it right on there. Okay, great. I appreciate that. Do you have any recommendations for books or podcasts? I know we, we talked about bigger pockets a little bit earlier, but any, any particular book that you've read in this process that has really made an impact on you? Yeah, I think, um, I'm trying to think, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of good podcasts I listen to right now. I'm kind of listening to more that are geared towards, uh, the syndication stuff. Rod Cleef has a good one. Uh, Neil Bawa. Uh, Michael Blanc, those are kind of the, the bigger names in, in the educational space of syndication. So, so they have a lot of good stuff they put out. One, I guess a book, and this necessarily isn't, isn't about multifamily, but one book that kind of shifted my mindset from the beginning was uh, The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. So that, that, was, that was the one I liked a lot um, as far as like mindset. If people are looking to kind of shift their mindset and thinking about going bigger, um, that's one I definitely recommend. So we mentioned uh, snowboarding earlier. Do you still, are you still able to get out and, and do some snowboarding on a regular basis? Not as much as I used to. Um, so yeah, li- living back in the Midwest, the snowboarding isn't quite as exciting as it is out west. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I was supposed to, supposed to have a trip here in a few weeks out, out to Colorado, but obviously with everything going on, that's canceled. So my one shot at, at getting a few days out on the slopes got, uh, got canceled, unfortunately. <laughs> So what else? What do what else do you do for fun when you're not uh, being a, a rock star real estate investor? Uh yeah. The, the my favorite thing to do now is uh, is boating. I, I like I have like a wakeboarding boat, so I'm a big uh, wakeboarder and uh, surfing behind the boat. 
So that's my one thing is, you know, here in Wisconsin, we only get three months of nice weather. <laughs> so I really, uh, when, when that time comes, I take full advantage of it on the weekends. I don't remote every weekend. So that's probably my one thing uh, that uh, I could say I'd love to do. <laughs> yeah, and you've got plenty of options up there for lakes, right? Yeah, that's that's the one best thing about Wisconsin is we got, we got the best lakes. About the only thing we do have, but we got good <laughs> Yeah, I was shocked. I think I told you the other day when we were speaking on the phone, I have an uncle who lives in Wisconsin and he, he, uh, he used to live on a lake. He owns a bar that's, I, th- I think, pretty close to one of the lakes up there. And I was, I, I went up to visit several years ago and I was, first of all, I was just shocked at how, how beautiful Wisconsin was in the yep. summertime anyway. <laughs> and, uh, how many lakes there were and, and, uh, how you guys like the party up there? I thought we were uh, I thought we were drinkers <laughs> down here in, in Southern Indiana and Kentucky, but I, I totally underestimated the the uh, alcohol intake capabilities of of Wisconsinites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, I think we have we have a lot of bars. I'll just say that there's a lot of Wisconsin likes to drink. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you got to have something to do, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you joining us today. I'm not going to not gonna keep you for much longer here. Um, if people want to reach out to you, they can find you on Facebook and Instagram, or they can email you directly at brock at smartassetcapital.com or check out your website that we mentioned uh, just a minute ago, smartassetcapital.com. Any other means of communication? Yeah, no, it sounds like you named them all. I mean, yeah, definitely you can provide my email. Yeah, if anyone wants to reach out and have any questions, I'm more than willing to get on a call with anyone and talk through anything. Um, and yeah, through the website, I have a few different educational pieces on there people can check out. Uh, but, but yeah, that sounds about right. All right, Brock. Well, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I wish you and your family good health and good fortune. Have a great day. You as well. Thanks, Glenn. All right. Thanks again to Brock Mogensen and thanks again to you for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and I hope that you will hit that subscribe button and also maybe take time to give me a short review wherever you download your favorite podcast. And speaking of that, I want to mention that if you go over to Podchaser and give me a review on their website, they will donate 25 cents to Meals on Wheels for every review on their website from now until April 16th. Also, they will donate another 25 cents if I post a response to that review. So I think that's a great thing they're doing in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I hope you will go and help them out with that. So don't forget to hit me up on Facebook and Instagram. And remember to check out my listings at glensoin.com or glensellslouisville.com. Until next time, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>